welcome to the Thundercast. I'm Connor Sanders, here recording on the 4th of September 2019, the first episode of uh, the Thundercast with Connor Sanders. Uh, we're going to be talking about SU sports, um, some personal things, but more than anything, just focusing on uh, the happenings in athletics around campus. Um, I'm really excited to get back into it. This year, I'm going to try flying solo and just kind of going over SU sports, giving some thoughts, and also going to be a very guest-centric podcast this year, um, hoping to have coaches, athletes, um, assistant coaches, just people in and around the teams that we can talk SU sports with. Um, also want a new element of the podcast this year to be the emails. I'm, I'd love to answer questions. I'd love to get some fun bag style um, just random questions that we can pick out and talk about. So uh, my email you can send questions to if you do want to is sports at suunews.net. So send any questions that way. Uh, we'll do a, a Q&A segment as questions start to roll in. Um, if not, let's just get right into it. I think the biggest news from the weekend, definitely football season kicking off, SU kicking off their season. And what was a good contest, but a difficult contest in the same time, uh, 56 to 23 loss to UNLV. And it, at the stadium, the atmosphere was definitely kind of a feeling that the game was over by halftime. Um, UNLV is an FBS Mountain West conference. Like they compete with Dixie or uh, with Boise State and Utah State. They're a high-level football team. I think we kind of underrated them because we beat them back in 2011. But that was almost 10 years ago now. It's a completely different team, uh, completely different coach. Everything is different about them, and uh, they were really good. They came out and punched us right in the mouth. SU started out pretty strong. I'd say the first quarter, the defense looked really good. Um, really, like, forcing three and outs against those level of athletes is something that SU can hang their hat on. Just towards the end of the first quarter and in the start of the second is where things really went down to downhill there. But let's talk first just about uh, UNLV Stadium and how it's the worst. I think it might be the worst in college football. First off, the stadium is like 100 years off the strip. I don't know if you've been to whatever I think their name is Sam Boyd Stadium Sam Boyd Stadium is so far off the strip and so far away from where the rest of campus is it's like a 20 minute drive who is going to make that drive other than diehard UNLV fans which based on last night or on Saturday night's attendance there's like 50 (laughs) the stadium filled up there's definitely people interested but man it's just so out of the way you have to drive so far parking is like basically non-existent but they don't really need that much parking because nobody goes. And I get that they're moving into the Raiders stadium next season, but oh my goodness, I could not wait to get out of that place. I, we left a little bit into the third quarter because of the long drive home, but holy cow, <laughs> that stadium was so terrible. I wanted to be out of there as soon as I could. So imagine just like driving in the desert for a good 10 minutes. There's some suburbs and things. There's some soccer fields and boom college football stadium just there's nothing else around it and uh you go inside first off will call is crazy there's only one will call section for opposing teams so there's like like 50 SUU fans just waiting in this line but um then the stadium is like the most enclosed strange thing like 
if you're not in your seat, if you're walking around like the concourse, there's nothing. There's like three snack shops, but it's all enclosed and super weird. And it's so hot in Vegas. It just is like, you're just cooking in there. So it was pretty terrible. And I'm hope I never have to go to UNLV stadium again, because Sam Boyd, I hope <laughs> that we can just move on from that and that they have a better situation with the Raiders sta- Raider stadium. But I have no idea how they're going to fill that up because they couldn't even fill up uh, Sam Boyd. So, I mean, I get it. It's, we're an FCS opponent. They're not going to really show out like wild, but either way, um, I will say I do like the little light things on the yard markers that are UNLV's different colors. If you haven't seen them, look them up there. They just have like these Las Vegas style lights on each of the yard markers on the 10, the 20 and 30, 40, et cetera. Those are pretty cool. But moving beyond the stadium. Oh, actually, before we move on from the stadium, the crickets. (laughs) I, I heard people say that you could actually see them on the broadcast. But being there at the game, there are crickets everywhere. After halftime, like once the sun goes down, it starts to get cool. You can see it looks like, I don't know, like like a bunch of debris is being sucked into the air by like a very small tornado. It's just, there's just bugs everywhere, man, in every direction you're looking. And then they're just jumping like all in the stands and everybody's kind of freaking out because bugs are gross, dude. If you think bugs are cool, what the heck is wrong with you? Bugs aren't cool. So crickets are flying around everywhere. Everybody's like trying to not get touched <laughs> by the crickets. And when SU wasn't doing too well, it was a, uh, not the most positive experience, especially since it was like 108 at nine o'clock. It's so hot there. But anyway, let's let's talk about what actually happened on the field. I think it's worth noting that UNLV's quarterback Armani Rogers and their running back Charles Williams are just superior athletes to what we have at SU. Like Armani Rogers was recruited by UCLA, was recruited by Oregon State. He's the most highly touted prospect that UNLV's had in a long time. And he's really good. He's really athletic. He can get to the edge, bust off really long runs. He had like a 66-yarder. He's really talented. Obviously, his accuracy lets him down against more difficult opponents, but he was able to to shred SUU pretty good. Uh, Charles Williams as well, just there was no stopping that guy. The offensive line is just, they could create the slightest little hole for him. And he was gone. He would get to the edge like it was nothing. And if he didn't get to the edge, he could break it through the middle. He was really had good vision and really good uh, acceleration in the holes. So no no shame in losing to a team like this. This is not like we're losing to a high school team. Like this was a a high level FBS 85 scholarship football team. And SU competed in the first and fourth quarters, but the game definitely got away. Um, we'll talk about some of the good things, some of the bad things that happened later on, but let's just focus on, uh, for now, let's focus on offensive output here. So one of the positives, obviously the eight play 92 yard drive in the fourth quarter, uh, Tyler Skidmore looked really good and same goes for Zach Nelson, who caught two DP TD passes in his first game. Really exciting is, uh, the wide receiver group was one of the groups with the most turnover on the team. Um, really encouraging to see him making an impact. Also worth noting uh, just how well Helbig played, even though he was under so much pressure. He didn't throw any interceptions, didn't throw any touchdowns either, but he was making smart decisions. He wasn't forcing the ball. He was willing to take sacks and run and be creative. 
um, when the pocket broke down and things, which is really important because that's one of the things that our quarterback struggled with a lot last season was making good decisions under pressure. Throwing the ball away is death in football, and it's especially true when you're playing from behind. So Helbig did well to keep the ball, had a really nice drive in the second quarter where SU scored, but obviously he's overmatched. It's, it was tough uh, for him not only to buy time, but also to find receivers while he was, he was running around. Um, I'd also say Isaiah Diego Williams, Dubbo, our beloved former member of the podcast, really s- looked good. He had a, a few really deep targets where it looked like he might have had a step on his defender. Pass just didn't quite work out or whatever happened. Uh, Dubbo wasn't able to make those catches, but Dubbo looks like a legitimate deep threat. And same goes for Carlos Baker, who I thought played really well. Didn't have a lot of catches. I think he only had uh, one or two, but the catch he had on the, the far sideline was a, a big play, and SU is going to need a lot of big plays. So with the potential missing of Frank Harris, who I believe has torn his ACL, I don't know if that's known yet, but he's not on campus. He's uh, out for the season. So it's going to be on Carlos Baker to step up as our kind of deep threat, as our kind of over-the-middle post and sideline uh, jump ball threat. And he looked, he had moments, so that's encouraging as well for, for Coach Warren. Also, it's just going to be the most interesting unit. I think the receiving core between Dubbo, between Landon Meesum, between Carlos Baker, you know, Lance Lawson had eight catches, looked really good. Uh, Zach Nelson, like we just mentioned. It's going to be a really interesting and a really skilled unit. Now it's just about building that chemistry with Helbig, with knowing when to stop on a route, when to cut things short, when to come towards the line of scrimmage, when to run away, like all of those kind of things that come with time will be tough to develop. And UNLV and Northern Illinois, who we played this weekend, are real challenging opponents to try and test that stuff out against. So going to be really interesting to see if the receivers um, can generate the production needed to compete in the big sky because we have to be able to move the ball and we have to be able to trust in our receivers as well as our tight ends who um, we don't really have a a number one tight end option right now. So interesting to watch that unit, the pass catchers, uh, who played well, I think, just kind of need to generate more separation against lesser opponents. So we'll see about that. Over on defense, I loved watching Nilo Otukolo, who led the team with tackles with seven. He is a baller. He's a very confident linebacker. He reads plays well. He's fast. He's He just looks like he is a hard-nosed uh, type of guy. I would hate to run through the hole and meet him on the other side. Um, also, I was really impressed with Alan Holston, who had seven tackles. He's listed as a safety. I think he's kind of a plug-and-play option for uh, Brandon Fisher in the defense. There's going to be a lot of defensive back packages, I think, with this this season. Um, I think the linebackers played well. Quade Murray, Jordan Walker uh, looked really good. Also, a lot of saw a lot of Jaden Clark and Alex Sims, who were kind of floating around the field. Alex Sims was blitzing a lot, so it's an inter- interesting unit that has also has a lot of turnover with Taylor Nelson and Chinedo Chinedu Hananu graduating. So they're gonna have to start producing soon, and they're gonna be asked to do a lot, especially against more run-heavy opponents like Weaver State. Um, but so far, so good. I think that they they looked good. Uh, the defensive line. Before we move, let's move to the defensive backs before we move to the defensive line. Uh, Holston, I think, is a really interesting 
plug-and-play option. He can play some nickel, can play over the top. Kyle Hanneman looked like he was playing most of the free safety snaps. But also, you know, you got A.J. Stanley, who I think is one of the best defensive players on the team. I think he's quietly the most skilled and polished player on the defense right now. Um, so he's really good. Antoine Rainey and Carlton Johnson looks pretty good. I mean, it's not like Armani Rogers was slinging the ball all over the field, right? He was getting out of the pocket, making plays on the move, running. Um, like, let's move to the running backs now, and let's move to the little, to the not so lighter side. We'll we'll call it the the bad of this section. The defensive line really struggled to generate pressure, um, but they were only outdone by our inability to create holes for the offense. Um, just a stat here. We had 46 rushing yards. SU had 46 rushing yards compared to UNLV, who had 331. Um, we barely averaged more than a yard per carry. Uh, Philila just didn't really have a lot of space. He's a big bruising back, but he he's going to get four to six yards every time. That's the ideal goal for him. But if he doesn't have space to get beyond that first level, he can't barrel into the linebackers and the safeties to get those six or seven yards, right? Which is why, and we don't know, I mean, Jay Green and Karis Davis didn't appear in the game. They're not on SU's roster. I don't know exactly what's going on with them, but losing two speedy and more balanced backs like them is going to be a problem. And Falila is going to have to carry the ball a lot. He struggled with injuries in the past. It's going to be a really interesting situation to watch. I mean, Thomas Duckett was playing a lot on third down, maybe as a passing option, but uh, they're going to need to give the ball to somebody. And... Falila has to take all the carries. That's just going to be a huge, huge burden on his body. So we'll see how that looks. The offensive line, like I say, they didn't give up a lot of sacks or, you know, put the quarterback in terrible situations all the time, but they couldn't really create many holes and they didn't give Helbig the time he needed to make the, to go through his reads. Like we were just really killing on UNLV on quick passes and, you know, little rollout plays. Um, but we weren't, really very successful throwing the ball down the field, even the mid to long range. So obviously that's a good defensive line. They played against a really talented group. You know, we rushed a lot. They brought new kind of blitzes and things that we just weren't ready for. So interesting to see what happens uh, along the offensive line, but it looks like at least we do have a pretty consistent group of starters. I mean, Braxton Allen's gonna be the, uh, excuse me, Braxton Jones, the left tackle, Josh Madsen, Zach Nelson, PJ Nusa and Artis Gregory look like the most consistent group. We'll see how they perform. Uh, they have a lot to do, though, because Northern Illinois is another really good team. And if we can't protect our quarterback and create holes on offense, then we're going to be cooked. It's going to be the same uh, issues we had last season. The same thing goes for the defensive line. Just need to generate more pressure. There's no sacks. There are very few hurries. Uh, if Rodgers wasn't on the run, then he had enough time to pick out the receiver he wanted. And if we did force him out of the pocket, there was no contain and he could get to the edges really easily. Like I say, we're not going to play another type of athlete like that this season. Um, he's one of the fastest players that we'll encounter. So difficult to kind of gauge how much of it's the defense's fault and how much it's just Armani Rogers making plays. So that'll be another interesting group to watch. I think Bishop Jones, uh, Katoni Sakona, Gasset Schuster, Watsonasi, there's some talent there. We'll see how they develop as the season goes along, but it's got to be a focus for Brandon Fisher and the defense is generating pressure on the quarterback. You can't just give him time to sit back and not only pick out receivers, but pick out running lanes and 
like there were just so many plays where Charles Williams just had nobody around him on a simple handoff. So it's going to be tough to get the defense back up to speed. Um, also, just in closing, just moving on from the football here, the long snap in the first quarter that ended up bouncing twice before it got to Manny Burrs really swung the momentum of the game. Because SU was in it. We were real hyped on the sidelines. Um, the energy of the section of SU fans was really high. But as soon as that play happened, it seemed like we had kind of missed our chance. And I didn't catch who was the long snapper in that moment. Um, but you got to get those miscues out soon because it cost us the game. And Manny Burrs didn't look the most convincing in his punts, but he got a lot of good bounces. And he put the returners in difficult situations. So we'll see how that develops too. Special teams is going to be an interesting unit to watch as well. Um, we'll see. I think it's another talented group. I'm not worried about SU football. I think that the expectations aren't super high. But Coach Warren expects more from his team. I'm sure the rest of the coaching staff expects the same. So we'll see how they look heading into conference play. All right, let's move over now to SU Women's Volleyball, who started out 3-0 and at the Utah State Invitational. They won nine sets and only dropped two. The last two, of course, were against Utah State in the final, but SU pulled out the victory there. There's a tournament of their own this weekend. Uh, I believe it's called the Thunder Thunderbird Invitational. It's going to be a, another good chance for SU to prove that they're better than they were last year. Last year, they only won six games. This year, they've already won three halfway to last season's success, but that could just be that they ran into some bad teams, that they ran into teams before they got into good rhythms. Um, this is a good team. They Let's start with Shannon Webb, who had 57 kills at the tournament. Shannon Webb, outside hitter, is really skilled. Maybe the most skilled player we've had at SCU. She's an NCAA tournament vet. She played at American University. She's in her last year of collegiate volleyball. She can turn the ball. She can tip. She can... Uh, play skill shots. She can hit the ball with power. She's a really, really skilled outside hitter. And I think she's going to be really the, the focus of the offense. Um, also, Stacey Hohen played really well. She had 34 kills. Thea Leotua had 23. Katie Montgomery with 22. Um, Alexis Averett with 90 assists. She's definitely the main setter of the group. But we also got to see uh, Shade Cintron, who had 27 assists. She's a really interesting prospect. She's only 5'4 as a setter, but she's really skilled. Has a lot of bounce, and uh, she just has a kind of a different timing than Avery does, which throws off defenses. So she's a really another valuable ab- asset as a defensive specialist, also as a setter. One thing, and I hate to talk about players that have left SCU, but it's important to consider this when talking about the volleyball team. So Jana Kalani-Valu, who was really good, was named one of the Big Sky um, all-conference players. She had 451 kills last season. She was top, she was number six in the country in attacks per game. So that's 4.03 kills per set. Moving to Emma Mangum, had 250 kills, 2.38 kills per set. Miranda Conez had 158 kills, 1.41 kills per set. Nana Hopkins had 107 kills and 1.65 kills per set. So that's important because all four of those players graduated. Uh, or not graduated. All four of those players moved to new opportunities. Hopkins moved on. Um, Plani Valu transferred to Miami. Mangum transferred to Weber State. And then Miranda Kanez transferred to Long Beach State. Uh, this is really difficult because last season, SU had 1,310 kills. 
those four players accounted for 966 of those kills. Um, they had 11.7 kills per set as a team, and those players accounted for 9.47 kills per set. It's a lot of production being left behind. Um, Shannon Webb is going to be a good option in replacing a lot of that production, and Stacey Hone's really good as well. Thea Leitu will have more of a role, Katie Montgomery as well, but um, there's a lot to replace here from Coach Hoyer. There's a lot of new faces, um, but it also offers a new opportunity to, to tweak the offense, to try new things on the outside, and especially to open up the middle of the court more because that was one struggle that they had last season. Um, it's just getting good sets in the middle creates easy points and also kind of keeps the defense on their toes. So should be interesting to see how Coach Hoyer manages that. Also, service was a lot better at this tournament. Um, service was a real issue last season. They had 280 service errors last season compared to 232 by their opponents. That's got to change. Um, just getting sets in will help this team close, or excuse me, getting aces um, and just getting serves in will help this team close out sets. That was a real issue last season. It felt like they were in every set. They were down by two or they were up heading into the last few points. Um, closing sets out is really important. And Shannon Webb is the kind of player that can close sets out by herself. The set doesn't have to be perfect. She doesn't need to have a lot of space to make a kill. She can play it off the blockers. She can tip. She's a really skilled option that I'm, I think will be a really good kind of closer for the team. Also, Mayana Waters, Alexis Averett, I'd say are the the most experienced members of the team. Averett, definitely the, the leader as the setter. Waters brings a lot of energy as libero. And Sarah Gasper, who's also a libero defensive specialist type, is also really good with serves. So this is a a pretty deep team. Lots of players that can make an impact. It just kind of depends on how the game flows. Um, Webb will take the majority of the attacks. I think Stacey Hone will take kind of that Emma Mangum role where she plays opposite, gets a lot of kills. Um, but it's an exciting time. 3-0. and It's the best start since 2015. And then this weekend they play St. Mary's, Mid-Tennessee State, and Boise State. So Boise State will be a real test for the team. And we'll see if they can keep this momentum carrying forward. I think they, they had the talent to do so, um, but they haven't had the results yet, and that's what matters. So we'll see what the Hoyers do with that. Let's talk about women's soccer right now. Just a short little bit. They had a game on Sunday, uh, lost 1-0 to Cal Baptist in what was a really closely contested game. Um, I think that this women's soccer team looks a lot better than last season's, mostly because the midfield seems a little more potent, a little bit uh, more able and capable and really like aggressive in the, their touches and in their passes. Lots of passes in behind, lots of testing outside backs, which is stuff I like to see. Um, Bree Sims played center back, which she's played midfielder most of her career here. In fact, she's listed on the guide as a midfielder, but she played center back. She played really well. She's really smart at getting across um, when an attacker is in a shooting position. She's really good at timing her challenge and forcing defenders to the outside. Um, the long goal in the game came off of what was a bit of a howler by Brie Aldridge. Uh, there was a high ball in. Um, two Cal Baptist players were charging towards it. Aldridge went up to try and catch it, but instead of extending her hands out to catch it, she tried to take it into the chest, and it just squeezed right through her arms, and Cal Baptist scored pretty open, 
easy goal. It was a bit of a howler. It happens. She led the Big Sky in saves last season. I'm not too worried about her sure-handedness, but soon after that, she was subbed off for Bella Whitmore. So interesting to see that. We need to not let those kind of goals happen. On the offensive side, though, um, I thought Mackenzie Lawrence played really well. Uh, but mostly, I, I was really impressed with Gigi Pagani, Ali Hastings, and Jalen Barton, um, as well as Ali Carlisle, who were really good with the ball at their feet. Obviously, there's turnovers all the time, but um, good at making decisions, good at playing the ball forward, especially in getting Lawrence in behind. Cause she's a hard worker. She's got one of the highest work rates of any player I've ever seen. She's always running after the ball, always giving chase. Like She got a really bad yellow card because she just was over chasing the ball and slid feet first in the goalkeeper like she's always going after the ball and she had a couple of chances where you know the keeper was charging out she really only had one or two touches to make something happen she tried to chip the keeper both times missed both times so SU's generating chances Cal Baptist had more shots in the game but it's an interesting option um, to play through the midfield which we really didn't have last season not a lot of players could take the ball at their feet and go forward there's a lot of playing the ball back playing a lot of long balls toward Lawrence, which is still a heavy part of the offense. But now we can at least play the ball towards, you know, Pagani or Hastings, let them run at the defense and create chances that way. So Lawrence is definitely the key player of this team. The offense goes through her. They look to pass to her. They look to play long balls towards her. Um, she needs to play her best. She was one of the top scorers in the big sky. She's really our only, I'd say, our only lethal option in front of goal. Um, I mean, Quincy Pfeffer can knock a header in, and like I say, Barton and Hastings and Pagani can all score, I'm sure. Um, but she is the center forward, but she's also the only real high-tier option in the big sky that we have on our team as far as going scoring goals so far. She's a proven goal scorer. She, if she gets chances, she will take them. Um, but I think that she's going to have a lot more opportunities this year than they did last year. So she needs to capitalize on those you know, get the ball in front of her, take good, strong shots, and test the defense. You can tell Coach Thompson is stressing creativity, stressing um, not just playing so directly, trying to play around the defense, playing behind, which is really encouraging if you're an SCU fan. One thing that wasn't as encouraging, the outside backs kind of got played off. Um, it's Katie Lule started it right back. Um, replacing Summer Soriano is not easy. Summer Soriano has the most minutes in SU history. Um, and Lule struggled. There a lot of overlap play between Cal Baptist left back and their left wing. So SU need to be more aggressive in defending and not let these kind of 2v1 situations happen where Lule is just stranded against the winger and the defender. So overall, encouraging performance. They got their they got their butts kicked by BYU, 7-0, I'd say. You can go ahead and call that a whooping. Um, and it's discouraging. That's a really discouraging loss. But they didn't let it get to them. They came out. They performed well. BYU is like number 14 in the country. They're a good team. No shame in losing to them. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, really excited to see, especially looking forward to conference play, if this team can make the playoff because they haven't made the Big Sky conference playoff, I think, since they joined the Big Sky in 2012. So Coach Thompson has a lot uh, to do. But... Like I say, this like with the volleyball team, I feel like the building blocks are there. They're skilled enough to play. They're not just going to chase the game all the time. Like They're going to give other teams fits, so it's going to be an interesting team to watch. So I'm going to move on to my personal segment of the week. Each week, 
I'm just gonna take a topic I'm interested in, passionate about. Um, this is the end of the SU sports section. If you're here only for SU athletics, I appreciate you coming. <laughs> and I will catch you next week. But um, this week I wanna talk just about this movie. It's in theaters right now. It's called Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, the name is weird. The name is dumb because it's about something weird. It's about something interesting and new. And I feel like, I think kind of a general frustration with Hollywood is that so many of these stories have already been told, right? But this is a hero's journey I've never seen before. It's not about somebody going back home or conquering an evil villain. It's about somebody finding themselves, but that somebody has Down syndrome. Um, So it stars Shia LaBeouf, who plays this like real deep south crab catcher kind of guy. And uh, he's basically in trouble with the law. He's in trouble with um, fellow fishermen in his area. And he makes a poor decision and he has to get on the run. Well, also on the run is Zach, who has Down syndrome and is living at an old folks home because there's no other place for him to go. And he has this, you know, a woman that takes care of him that's very nice. She's played by Dakota Johnson. But Zach is only 22. He doesn't like living in the old folks' home. And spoiler alert, he decides to book it. And he ends up hiding in Shia LaBeouf's boat. And they disembark together. And the whole story is about how Zach realizes as the movie goes on that he can do more than what people have always told him. And that just because he has Down syndrome doesn't mean that he loses value or that he's incapable of doing things. I spent a lot of my life working with people that have Down syndrome um, or other disabilities, autism, and it's something really important to me to understand not only can they do things, but they don't need help all the time. Like Zach does a lot of new things that he's never done before with Shia LaBeouf's character. And every time he's going to do it, the audience kind of feels like, can he do this? Is he skilled enough? Does he have the motor skills to handle this kind of situation? But he always does. It's just he hasn't been given chances. Everybody's told him one thing his whole life. And if you tell somebody something enough, eventually that thing becomes true for that person. So I loved it. It's not getting much marketing. I haven't seen a single commercial or even like a flyer for it or a poster. Like it's a classic Mark Twain story in that somebody gets picked up and their life changes. Um, but it's a really interesting angle. So you got to go see it. If you haven't, if you haven't even heard of it, you should go see it. It's one of the most like interesting, heartwarming stories I've seen in a while. I definitely tend to like more realist um, endeavors in film, and this is not that. It's it wants to take you somewhere that you've never been before, which I love in movies. Like take me somewhere new, somewhere I could never go or somewhere that I just have never been. And this movie explores the Deep South in a way that's just so like strangely charming, but also kind of sad. And it's really interesting to feel like you're walking around those areas. You, you really do, the immersion is so complete that you feel like you're walking around with Shia LaBeouf and Zach and you're experiencing these, you know, these kind of first time moments, these, these big firsts that Zach is experiencing. So it's really great. Also, <laughs> the, in my experience, disabled people love wrestling. I love watching wrestling too. 
Um, and the the fake wrestler they make up that Zach idolizes, it's called the Saltwater Redneck, which is just the greatest. <laughs> dude, Saltwater Redneck, dude. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he has his face painted, and he drives, like, this old Corvette. It's so funny, man. There's so many just, like, little bright moments, too. Like, Zach is smart, and the writing for Zach is so good, and he's such a great actor. Um, so that's... Go see Peanut Butter Falcon. Come back next week to listen to the Thundercast. We got University of Northern Iowa this weekend for SU football, the women's volleyball tournament. Um, golf is getting started soon. So come back to the Thundercast. I'm Connor Sanders. I appreciate you coming and listening. Like I say, please send questions, emails to sports at sunews.net, and I will answer your questions in the fun bag style next time. But until then, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.